Hello and welcome to the program UFO Warning. In this episode we're taking a look at the Stephen Pulaski UFO Encounter of 1973. Now I found this article on UFOinsight.com. It's written by Marcus Lauf, dated May 8th, 2023. The title says, Landed Crafts, Strange Beast, and Premonitions. The Bizarre Encounter of Stephen Pulaski. That begins the article and says, an incident that featured a close UFO encounter as well as the sighting of a strange humanoid creature is one that was witnessed by multiple people and that unfolded over a considerable amount of time. Furthermore, as well as the sighting of the UFO and the strange creatures, the main witness, Stephen Pulaski, appeared to be suddenly put into a bizarre catatonic state which lasted for several minutes by forces unknown. The incident was investigated both by the police and UFO investigators almost immediately following the encounter, with one police officer even, even witnessing part of the mysterious event himself. Indeed, the witnesses, not least Pulaski himself, were largely seen as reliable and credible witnesses. So here again you have a uh, mass sighting of a UFO, multiple eyewitnesses, one of which is a police officer. That incident occurred right in the middle of a wave of UFO and humanoid sightings. Perhaps only makes the account that much more credible. However, as we will explore, given the detail that apparent premonitions were made by the witnesses following the initial encounter, premonitions that seemingly proved to be inaccurate, many researchers have paid little serious attention in the case in more recent years. So... So often we have these sorts of things where you have a what seems like a credible UFO sighting, but then there's something that kind of muddies the water. In this case, this guy, he started thinking that he saw things, he's making predictions, the predictions don't come true, and all of a sudden people are just like, well, this is a bunch of nonsense, the guy must not have seen anything. It goes on, it says, the account was first documented in July of 1974 edition of Flying Saucer Review, an article written by Berthold Eric Swartz, M.D., it says, according to the report, at around 9 p.m. on October 25, 1973, farmer Stephen Pulaski was on his farm in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, when along with multiple other people, including family members and neighbors, noticed a strange red orb-like object hovering over a nearby field. After watching the globe for several months, Stephen decided to investigate more closely and, along with his neighbor's 10-year-old twins, made his way toward the field. With him, he also took his wife. So he got the farmer, his wife, and his neighbor's two 10-year-old kids. As their vehicle got closer to the field, Stephen noticed that the headlights suddenly became dimmer, as if the power was failing. From his perspective, they could see that the object was descending toward the field. Stephen brought the car to a stop, and all three of them stepped outside and made their way to a small hill overlooking the field and watched the object as it moved slowly across the field. As it moved, the object turned from red to bright white, so bright, in fact, that it lit up the entire area. From here, Stephen could make out further details about the object. He recalled that it was dome-shaped and like a big bubble and was approximately 100 feet across. Furthermore, the object appeared to make a sound that was like a lawnmower. Now, this would have to be pretty memorable. I mean, you were saying this object that's 100 feet across. That's, what, a third of the size of a football field, dome-shaped, it sounds like a lawnmower. All three of the witnesses looked on in awe. Then one of the young twins noticed something else. As they were watching the object, one of the twins suddenly brought their attention to a nearby fence, claiming he could see something walk, walking near it. 
Stephen, although he couldn't make out any detail, could see two black shapes moving near the fence, and immediately raised his rifle. <laughs> well, what do you do when you see an unidentified flying object or an unidentified cryptoid? Well, I guess at least in 1974, you shoot it. Wow, it says Stephen, although he couldn't make out any detail, could see two black shapes moving in the fence and immediately raised his rifle. Sounds like a really bad idea. When he pulled the trigger, he thought the shapes were likely bears. However, in that brief moment when the flash from the gun lit up the area in front of them, he could see there was something more out of the ordinary. Just let me interject here. You should never point your gun at something that you don't intend to kill. And never kill anything unless you know exactly what it is, as far as animals. I mean, this could have been anybody walking along here. So we have this guy. He's seen this UFO. He sees these two figures. Can't make out what they are. Thinks they might be bears, maybe something else. And just decides to go ahead and uh, take a shot with a high-powered rifle. Given that the fence itself was six feet high, he would estimate that the creatures were between seven and eight feet tall, with one of the strange being slightly taller than the other. Now that's massive. And they were covered entirely in dark gray hair. Furthermore, they each had piercing green-yellow eyes. He could, he could also hear what sounded like whines coming from them that he later recalled reminded him of a baby crying. At this point, in an attempt to scare these strange entities away, he fired his gun once more, this time purposely over the top of their heads. However, two the two creatures continued walking toward him. Well, I'm seeing some really strange things going on here. So we've got this UFO sighted. We've got these two giant cryptoids that sound like Bigfoot. We have a guy who is firing off this high-powered rifle. Yeah, that bullet's got to come down somewhere. So, you know, this is, to me, what I would see as a very dangerous situation. You have a person who is not practicing good, good gun safety and two... Uh, eight- and nine-foot-tall cryptoids. What could go wrong, huh? It says, Now fearing that the creatures were going to attack, Stephen fired the rifle, hitting one of them three times. As he fired, one of the young boys turned and ran back toward the main house. He watched as the creature he had shot held up its arm, seeming to reach for the other one. At the same time, the glowing object simply vanished into the air. Stephen backed up slightly watching as the creatures turned around and made their way back to the way they had come. Both he and the twins who had remained watched them cautiously. After they had disappeared back into the darkness, the pair turned their attention to where the glowing object had been. While the object had indeed vanished, the area where it had hovered remained glowing. So you have this giant UFO set down. It's glowing there, 100 foot across, he says, dome-shaped. He notices across the way there's these two giant cryptoids standing to, next to a six-foot-tall fence. He estimates her height at eight, nine feet. So he does what any reasonable person would do, LOL, and begins firing on them with a high-powered rifle. Well, doesn't seem to dissuade these creatures at all. In fact, they come walking toward him. Finally, he fires directly at one of them, says he hit it three times. This creature raises its arm up in the air, he says, toward the other creature, and he notices at the same time that he just shoots this cryptoid. Sounds like a Bigfoot for lack of a better definition. The UFO disappears. But even though the UFO disappears, the ground where it landed is still glowing. That's going to be a pretty good sized spot if this, thing's, if, this thing, if this thing is 100 feet across. Meanwhile, the two Bigfoot type creatures disappear into the darkness. The pair returned to the main house and after being convinced, reported the encounter to the police. 
By the time they had arrived, both of them noticed how irritated their eyes had become. Trooper Byrne arrived at the property to investigate at around 9.45 p.m. He asked Stephen to accompany him in the patrol car to the area the encounter had taken place at. Byrne pulled the vehicle to the side of the dirt road, around 100 yards away from where the object had been, and the two men got out. They could immediately notice that the glow remained, just as it had when Stephen had first left it. The pair walked along the fence toward the area, noticing as they went that a part of the wire appeared to have been purposely damaged. As they were inspecting it, the two men heard the sound of something walking in the nearby woodland. Sounds like maybe the two cryptoids had been left behind by this UFO. Bright lights and unnerving sounds. They turned their attention to where the noises were coming from. Both sensed that something was heading in their direction and that something appeared to be very large, not least as the two men could hear what sounded like entire trees being ripped right out of the ground. More Sasquatch Bigfoot behavior. And you know, I would just interject here. There is a, there is a uh, thought that these Bigfoot are actually creatures that have been uh, exiled here from some other dimension, some other place in, in the universe, and that what people are saying is these are these creatures that are just brought here and just dumped off, basically. I guess you could say they were rehomed to Earth. The two men turned and made their way from whatever was approaching. When they happened to stop, however, the sound of footsteps also stopped. Then, when they began walking away once more, the footsteps began again also. So here you have these things obviously being, tra being trailed by these creatures. As they continued on back toward the car, Byrne noticed a glow a little over 150 yards away. After a few moments' contemplation, Byrne stated he was going to drive toward the strange glow. However, after exiting the vehicle and walking to about 200 yards away from it, Stephen asked him to stop, telling him he didn't wish to go any further. Byrne decided to drive Stephen back home to the main house with the intention of returning to investigate. However, before they could get back to the patrol vehicle, the two men heard the voice of movement in the woods once more. As soon as they heard the sound, both men rushed to the car. By the time they had returned inside, Stephen noticed a, noticed a dark shape heading in their direction. Byrne put the car in motion and drove around 50 yards away before turning the vehicle around so the headlights would light up whatever was following them. However, when he did so, there was nothing there. Furthermore, the sounds had now also stopped. After a few minutes, the men made their way back to the house. So whatever is following these guys has disappeared. It says, an even stranger turn of events. It was around 10.30 p.m. by the time the men arrived back at the house. Byrne telephoned a local UFO organization and spoke to Stan Gordon, offering that something unusual had just taken place. Gordon, along with several others, quickly made their way to the area, arriving at around 1.30 a.m. Like when Byrne arrived, the group made their way with Stephen to the location where the instance had unfolded. However, by this time, the glow had seemingly disappeared. What's more, there were no signs of increased radiation in the area. By 2 a.m., the group, along with Stephen, were at the location where they had witnessed the strange creatures. As they were there, they noticed that one of the nearby cows suddenly started acting as if it was scared of something. At the same time, they noticed that Stephen's dog also began looking in the direction of the cow, acting anxiously as it did so. Then things turned to even stranger. Stephen began to reach for his face, rubbing his eyes over his head. When investigators asked if he was okay, he began to shake somewhat, looking as if he was about to faint. They noticed how his breathing was becoming heavier and faster. Most startlingly, startlingly however, 
he began to growl like a wild animal, throwing his arms into the air when investigators reached out to steady his potential fall. It almost sounds like this guy's been possessed by something. At this point, the pet dog ran towards Stephen, looking as though it was going to attack him. Before that could happen, though, Stephen went on the offensive, ultimately chasing after the dog as if he was intent on attacking it. This went on for several minutes until he eventually collapsed to the ground, screaming that something was here with them. So this poor man, it's almost as if he's had some sort of uh, psychotic episode where he's lost all control. And this just reminds me of um, some of the stuff that we've heard from the... Uh, from the Skinwalker Ranch stuff, where they're talking about uh, hitchhikers and this sort of thing. Really kind of dis disturbing behavior. Now it goes on and says, While this was happening, several of the other investigators also began to experience lightheadedness as well as trouble breathing. The group also noticed a sudden intense smell of sulfur. One of the investigators, George Lott, suggested that they get out of here. Well, sulfur, this is another one of these strange smells that often comes up, not just in the UFO sightings, but in other paranormal sightings as well. It says, as a group was arranging themselves back into the vehicle, as well as bringing Stephen back to the car, he suddenly began to call out that they had, that they had keep away from the corner, adding that it was in the corner. As investigators guided Stephen back to the car, he continued to speak to them. He claimed he could see a strange man wearing a black hat and cloak, even claiming this mysterious this mysterious being was carrying a sickle. He continued, there was a fire behind this man, and in front of him was a force, and in this force were the creatures. These creatures were calling his name over and over. Whew, I don't know, but it sounds to me like he's had a vision of hell or something. This is very disturbing. Perhaps ominously, he also stated, as if being told by an unseen third party, that if man doesn't straighten up, the end will come soon. During the struggle to get him into the car, his glasses fell from his face. His father, who had also made the journey, picked them up. Interestingly, when Stephen came, when Stephen came to a short time later, when his father handed him the spectacles back, he claimed that he could see perfectly well without them. We might recall that only hours earlier he had noticed that his eyes appeared irritated when he returned home after viewing the object up close. It is certainly possible that this was that his sudden improvement in eyesight was connected to this close proximity sighting goes on, it says, the UFO investigators were as intrigued as they were perplexed to the, events, to the events that had been reported, as well as by those they had witnessed for themselves, including Stephen's apparent catatonic state. Indeed, in the days and weeks that followed, investigators would study the case and Stephen, and Stephen quite intensely, with the overriding question being just what connected the UFO sighting to the strange creatures and the effect it had on Stephen. Perhaps of most importance, the fact that each of the encounters had multiple witnesses, 13 different witnesses in total, meant that it was certainly that something strange occurred that evening. Furthermore, investigators found Stephen and the other witnesses to be very credible and reliable, and when they interviewed, each version of events matched completely with the others. From these interviews, investigators were able to put together a timeline of events of what likely occurred that evening. It would seem that the lights were from a solid craft, which was likely at low altitude when it was first noticed. It then descended to the field and hovered a very short distance from the ground. As it did this, it gave off a sound that Stephen had recalled was very similar to a lawnmower, as well as lighting up the area around it. It also appeared to have an effect on Stephen's vehicle, causing its headlights to dim significantly the closer it got. Regarding the strange beings themselves, whatever they were, given the reaction to it being... Given the reaction to being shot, 
not least the immediate whimper that suggested it was in pain, it also it is also certain that it was a genuine flesh and blood creature. Now, I'm not sure I can really agree with that. Simply because we know so many of these things are shapeshifters. They seem like they're not necessarily from another galaxy. We have to always remember we don't know where they're from. It seems to me just as likely that these things are interdimensional. And these creatures, I and a lot of people think these, these Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever they are, are some sort of interdimensional creature that's able to function in our environment at a physical level, but it also does things that are just not humanly possible. The fast the fast speeds that it can travel through uh, through heavy timber and it, the, the superhuman strength, the fact that it seems like it can live somewhere where there's really not enough food resources to support it, the fact that we've yet to find a dead body of one of these things. All these things point to these things being as some sort of uh, being that's in a transitional state, coming from, from whatever dimension they're from into Earth. And it also seems oftentimes these things are associated with being left here by UFOs. As I said, it's almost like they're being exiled here, being rehomed here, I guess you could say. It says, regarding the strange beings themselves, whatever they were given the reaction to it being shot, not the least the immediate whimper that suggested it was pain is also certain that it was a genuine flesh and blood creature, and there was a considerable and there was considerable damage noticed to the trees when investigators viewed them in daylight. However, despite the entire area, despite examining the entire area, investigators failed to turn up any strands of hair or even blood from a presumably wounded creature, nor did they manage to locate any footprints on the ground. It is difficult not to notice the similarities in the description of the creature, large, tall creatures covered in gray-brown hair to Bigfoot. As we might also note, there have been many UFO and Bigfoot researchers who have noticed some kind of connection between the two. It is also interesting to note that the creatures seemingly disappeared into thin air, much like the glowing object. After returning back to the woodland, some Bigfoot researchers suggest that there is a supernatural element to their exist. Might this be the case here? Might the two creatures have been Bigfoot creatures, and they, and did they mysteriously vanish from sight? Well, I think it's obvious to me that these things are some sort of interdimensional, paranormal, whatever you call them. They're right along the same lines of what we experience so much with these UFOs. Indeed, the creatures themselves are intriguing enough without the UFO sighting or the strange behavior of Stephen Watt at the location with investigators. Now it says investigators would understandably conduct extensive research on Stephen, not least with the other witnesses as to his past behaviors, all would state that not only had not only had they not seen him act in such a way previously, but that the behavior that evening was completely at odds with his normal demeanor. Furthermore, he had no history of sleepwalking, feigning, or speaking in a strange trance-like state at any point during his life, perhaps ruling out that the behavior was some kind of medical episode. In fact, when they sought medical advice about the behavior that evening, it was suggested that the reaction was almost certainly to the events Stephen had witnessed and not an underlying condition. Interestingly or not, Stephen would have no memory whatsoever of the events after he began to feel faint, nor did he recall what he said, or what it might have meant when he or what it might have meant when he was told. Of course, whether his episode was a strange and subconscious way of Stephen dealing with the truly bizarre influence was unfolding around him, or whether it was some kind of long distance communication between the strange entities and himself is open to debate. Is open to debate, but we don't really know what happened. But we do know what happened is that this UFO came down. Multiple eyewitnesses saw it. They saw these two uh, large cryptoid, 
cryptoids associated with it. They saw the UFO disappear. They saw the, the cryptoids disappear. That's all we really know for sure. Now it goes on and says, although Stephen couldn't initially recall the events while in the, while in the strange trance-like state, the more he spoke with investigators, the clearer those events became. Now it goes on, talks a little bit about things that he saw. That he saw, and this is where, to me, the thing really starts to kind of get the waters get muddied a little bit because, in my opinion. Uh, the best recall you're going to have is right after the event happens. And I think sometimes people can be suggestible about these things. The best thing to do if you have a UFO sighting is as soon as you have it, just put pen to paper, write it down, try to just be uh, as concise as possible, describe what you saw, describe where you saw that, describe what time it is, and then you have that for your memory. That's what I did when I had my sighting because you never know. Time can play tricks on you, and then you might be able to to, to uh, understand better what you saw down the road. For instance, when I had my sighting, I described the, the size of the object, how it appeared you know, as it kind of came up out of the ditch on the highway I was on, and then I described the size of it as it kind of floated overhead. And when I talked to the guy from MoveOn, he said, what you're describing is to me is an is a object that is, is much larger. And I thought about that later, and I thought, you know, you're exactly right. And that's when I was able to just go back from looking at my own notes and from the statement that I gave right after it happened to realize, oh, so what I saw was actually what you would consider one of these things to be a shapeshifter. Even though the shape itself was the same, the size of its of the object was basically filling the space that it was in. But when I saw it, I didn't even think of it that way. But by going back to my notes that I had written down immediately after and talking to the investigator who I'd called like the very next day, and described what I saw what the, while the memory was still fresh, I was able to really analyze what I saw and how this thing acted. And I think with this case here, uh, it's kind of an evolved case, but I think the best thing that we can take from it is maybe not so much the things that the experiencer said afterwards or six months later or whatever. It's just that initial sighting that was witnessed by this group of people, this 100-foot-wide UFO, dome-shaped UFO dropping down out of the sky with this bright light, sitting there, these two crypto, cryptoids, cryptoids that were sighted near the six-foot fence line so they could easily determine they were, like, they were eight and nine foot tall. So you, you have a sighting of this large UFO, you have a sighting of these two cryptoids, and then you have a description of how this uh, UFO just disappears into thin air. It's as if it's interdimensional. How the glowing uh, spot on the ground stays there for some time, and then how the two cryptoids kind of hang around for a little bit seem to really track this highway patrolman who's investigating the sighting and and uh, the experiencer, and then they themselves also disappear. To me, those are the main elements from this case. And what happens after that can be debated. Uh, it can take on a life of its own. It may not be that helpful in just trying to pin down exactly what type of UFO was witnessed in a situation like this. But the case is even more involved. You can go to ufoinsight.com and you can look this thing up. It's a quite a long article. I've just gotten into the meat of it right here in the podcast. Uh, I, I enjoy this site. They have a lot of good stuff there and they're very open-minded about stuff. I check it out. Until next time, this is UFO Warning over and out.